This is live from the table, recorded at the world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog. And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, this is Dan Natterman. I'm here with Noam Dorman, owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar. We have Periel Ashenbrand here, the show's producer. Much put upon, but much appreciated in equal Thank measure. You. Thank you, Dan. We also I have TJ, <laughs> Comedy Cellar regular TJ from Haiti originally, now makes his home in New York City. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the maestro of the mixing board, the <laughs> sorceress of sound, the diva of decibels from the great city of Binghamton, New York, or somewhere thereabouts. Nicole Lyons is with us from behind the scenes. She usually doesn't say much, but Nicole, it's almost like he's flirting with you. Yeah, that was a lot. That was like four or five different <laughs> credits. In Hold on. Was that top of the dome or you planned that? Uh, no, no, I planned. Yeah, that, that was that was very. Yeah, impressive. that was very poetic. Okay. I, might, I, might, I might do it again <laughs> at a future at a future episode. Uh, we're waiting for a, a a guest to come, but whilst we're waiting, uh, I'm sure we have things to talk about. First of all, I noticed Noam is dressed up today, and I inquired why, and he said he had an interview. So I'm a little curious about what the nature of that interview was. Oh, the, the New York Times is doing a or somebody's doing a documentary about the uh, entire. Uh, Louis C.K. thing, but um, I believe it's from a pro pro Louis or anti cancel culture mm. point of view. So I agreed to sit for the interview. Okay. For a second, I was going to be like, "Oh, we're not done with this." If it was well, on the other side of it, but probably. even on the pro side, it seems like we should just let the guy live now. It's over. Yeah, I, I agree, but the, it's always a predicament because. If they're doing the documentary anyway, I mean, this is the calculation you have to make. It's like, well, what are they going to say if I'm not on it? Like, I want to. Right. <clears throat> you want to stand for yourself. Yeah. 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 I don't want to. Do you know if he's going to be on it? I can say with a lot of certainty without knowing that he's not going to be on it. <laughs> well, if it's pro Louis, then, you know. Did hell freeze over? Because then maybe. Well, yeah, he probably wouldn't do it anyway, even if it was pro no Louis. But, um, what what is it going to be on streaming or where is it? Going oh, to be? I don't know. It's just it's just starting. Who knows even when it when it will come out? Probably you. But it's not, nice people out. making it, so happy yeah. to do it. Well, more publicity for the comedy seller, obviously. No, well, is it good publicity? I guess so. I don't know. T uh, J. We were talking last time before our guest gets here about uh, social media and comedy, TikTok, Instagram. Do you post things on Instagram and TikTok? I do on Instagram a little bit, but it's very it's it's a choice that is hard to make because for me it's almost like when you do stand up, it's I guess to use a poor analogy, when you do stand up, you basically you're making food in a kitchen, like like a regular restaurant. But when you do social media clips, it's like fast food. You gotta feed the beast every day and it's gotta be quick. So the quality of the stuff you have to produce for social media is gonna be bad in general just because it's a quick turnaround if you do it and you find that your followers rise then you want to want to do it every day and nobody can write a great bit every day that's just not how comedy works so it sort of diminishes the value of stand-up comedy in a way but it helps you with your marketing so it's a choice you gotta choose a double-edged sword if you will yeah i think a tell could write a great bit every day everything well yeah he could nah even, even a tell, I don't know if that's true. We could write a good joke. A tell should do a daily uh, TikTok. Yeah, a tell, a tell probably should do TikTok. Oh and he probably, and, and it should be, 
I think his crowd work because mm-hmm. I think his crowd mm-hmm. work is really where he yes, shines it's, brightest. It's unbelievable. Um, and it would always be new and fresh, and he wouldn't have to worry so much about burning material. He has so much old material he could put up there too. Yeah, he, he does. He could also do that. Do you think, uh, Noam? I mean, have you noticed that comics are changing their act to accommodate social media? A lot of comics. They don't want to burn material. Maybe they're doing more crowd work than they would have otherwise done. I don't know if you've noticed that or uh, have you noticed that? Um, I haven't necessarily noticed, but I don't really necessarily watch other comics that closely. But have you, you noticed that, Perio? No, absolutely not. But I, that I, comics are changing their acts to do. Well, I wouldn't say changing their acts, but maybe doing more crowd work than they would have done otherwise be- because um, they don't want to burn material on social media, but they want to get that crowd work nugget. That yeah. might, you know, uh, um, uh, Eric Newman does crowd work anyway, but he was telling us that his his most viral um, clip was a crowd work clip. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah, he, well, he struck gold. It was someone who would, was somebody somebody screwed his his friend's mother or something. What was it? <laughs> yeah, he was talking to somebody, and the it was a girl and a guy, and the guy he thought they were a couple, but the guy had had sex with her mom or something. Yeah, but you're only going to strike gold if you mine for it. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. so you have to be up there talking to the crowd. Uh, one thing I'll say from my act is, you know, I have, a, I, I have a new joke about Pride Month. I probably wouldn't have come up with that joke if it weren't for the impetus to do topical material. Are you trying uh, to record it to put it out? I already put it up and it did, oh, nice. it did okay. Whatever. Well, it didn't go viral. But the point is, is it pushed me to write a joke I might not have otherwise written. So, you, so yeah. true or false, that crowd work is the is the key to the kingdom. Or I don't know if it's the key to the kingdom. It's the key to not burning material and 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 maybe the key to the kingdom. Yeah. Well, if, if crowd work is one of the proven viable routes to TikTok fame, um, given the things he uh, says, uh, Ray Allen ought to have a few million followers on TikTok by now. <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, then? <laughs> um. Well, I mean, you have just, to use he just, he just started. He just started it. posting. So we'll oh, see. he has. He just started. Oh, I didn't know. I he mean, was he literally like when I started. So we'll see where it where it leads. Yeah. I mean, crowd work is the purest form of comedy. So it makes sense that it works on TikTok. Now, here's a question about crowd work. What if a person in the crowd objects to you putting them on TikTok? That hasn't come up. And I don't think anybody hmm. is paying any attention to that. That could come up. It will. You don't you know. really see the people. You typically don't see Yeah, you only yeah. hear their voice. You hear their voice. We get, generally we'll use subtitles to write yeah. whatever they I say. I mean, it's really, so, the camera's really on the comment. The person would have to see it, would have to recognize their voice or remember the evening. But, you know. And would have to complain. Of, and that, of, all those things could happen and they'd have a case. I guess you'd take it down. I mean, I, I don't know what they could do. What are they going to sue you? Because you, no one's making income directly from social media the, the income is isn't there some sort of quiet agreement that if you come to a comedy show then you're willing to be a participant in whatever happens in the room right not, not in the room I, I i don't know that you're willing a willing participant on tiktok but with potentially millions of people literally millions of people seeing you yeah that's a good point if, if you find yourself or, or hearing part, you in this if you find yourself a part of a viral comedy duo that's making a lot of money on social media. You might say, I want 50% of that revenue. That's well, like, fair. I'm your straight man. Well, again, you, you don't make money directly on social. Well, sometimes no, you do, actually. Yes, sometimes you do. you do. Sometimes you do. There is a there is some sort of formula where people do yeah, make money. Yeah, some people make money, but some people use it as an investment. But most people are just trying to get followers. But again, I've never seen tour. anybody's face other than the comics in any of these. Yeah, but I, I don't, I think legally, if it's your voice, you still have, you, you, I don't think. 
you can have a case, I guess. I think you can have some sort of a case. I think so. Let's get Dershowitz on. Uh, not, no one has complained thus far, but maybe somebody will at some point. Yeah, people are greedy. I, I, <laughs> Sooner or later, somebody's going to put somebody Jewish on there. <laughs> and they're going to complain. <laughs> it's it's worked well for a few people. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, this is just Jews. All right. But Periel knows. Right? Especially somebody that Periel grew up with. <laughs> one of these Long Island yentas. Anyway, go ahead. I still didn't grow up in Long Island. Queens, the same thing. It is so not the same thing. <laughs> like, they, it couldn't be less the same thing. And as, like, a New Yorker, you should know that better than anyone. Dan, do you, should you have a segment in the show where it's just Gnome and there's, Periel fighting for no, five Well, minutes? there is such a segment. They're it's all, not planned, but it happens. Every uh, show? It ha- yeah, more or less. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> as I said, she's often put upon, but, but appreciated in equal measure. Well, this is like bigotry in a way. Like, it reminds me of, like... Uh, like for her, for somebody from Long Island, it's very, very different than Queens. So Queens it was very, very different than Long Island, right? And they get mad about it. Like I remember my wife's Puerto Rican. And I remember I had the nerve to suggest that was pretty similar to being Dominican. Yes. And she's like, are you crazy? Yes. And then, and then she began to tell me the, the, the things which distinguish the cultures. And the things she said were so, like, if, if I were to say them out loud, you would accuse me of being racist. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, they don't wear socks and things like like crazy stuff. Yeah, it's it's pure tribalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pure tribalism. It's insane. You're the same it's as Long Island. No, 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 I'm not because Long Island is m- m- the part. W- I mean, it's what you no, it's not even a clear. What you're order. saying to me, the implication that you're trying to relay is that it's like this, like sort of snotty, wealthy, spoiled Jewish, jappy, jappy. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. mo- mo- and that's not true in Queens. Like, that's not true about where I grew up. And it's maybe true a little bit about how I grew up. But that's rest my case. No, I didn't grow up wealthy at all. I didn't grow up surrounded. So by are you like Rachel Dolezal? How did you get there? Where'd you, where'd you get this? Long <laughs> how, did, how did you do it? It's amazing. You're a mimic. I like, must have learned it. I, I don't perceive Periel as well, it's, I mean, it's Jappy. completely oh. inaccurate. I, I don't perceive it that way. And by that, any, hold on. In any way. As the only non-Jew, it's that, what, Jewish? Jewish American, American princess. Yeah. Is what the, and it's this, like a very spoiled. Give, give me like, a specific, like, famous example that I would know. Who's you the, get, who's like, a Mercedes for your bat mitzvah and a nose job. Yeah, usually those people don't wind job. up. Okay. Usually you wouldn't know them because they you don't wind up. <laughs> they don't become up, public uh, figures. They don't wind up in show business. You had a nose they, job. No, like, I did not have oh. a nose job. Uh, it's apparent you didn't. Hold on. I'm T- looking. T- <laughs> TJ's wearing a shirt. If I could just change the subject, uh, saying Netflix is a joke. The festival, yeah. a festival that I was not participating in. They but, weren't even uh, supposed to tell you about it. <laughs> well, I saw it. I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Robbie Pra was posting about it. He's the uh, Netflix comedy guru. Yeah, comedy, yeah. Uh, who has about as much use for me as uh, Michael Cox does at the Tonight Show. <laughs> but, but in any case, uh, oh, you, you've, you've welcome to Grievance with Dan, Dan Ackerman. <laughs> oh you've God, never that's... done the Tonight Show? I, I did the Tonight Show with Conan years ago. Gotcha. Okay. He, he actually hosted the Tonight Show for about six months. Because I can think of more perfect comedians for late night. Then. You know what cracks me up? I sometimes will bring up a story that I told like, Five years ago, like the time Dan called me out in front of this perfect 10 girl I was dating and he tried to totally sabotage me. To sabotage like, he's like, we've covered this before. We've covered this before. We have and then he'll talk about the same thing four weeks in a row. Same yeah, but I'm talking about shit per- <laughs> perser- per- perseverating four weeks in a row about the same I don't know, thing. Per- perseverating a, a word? I guess it is. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Whilst you looked that up, I'm going to finish my conversation yes. with CJ. 
No, Michael Cox gave me a, a categorical no when I sent him a video recently. Not a, oh, I like this joke and this joke, but maybe tighten up that joke. Not, right. oh, maybe if you started stronger, but I like the right. No, it was just a no. So yeah. I took it seriously. I took it personally. And and I have mentioned it more than once on this show. Uh, no, I'm apparently is tired of hearing of it. Anyhow, well, uh, I mean, talk about using the perfect word for the perfect situation. Perseverating, repeat or prolong an action, thought or utterance after the stimulus that prompted it has ceased. Perseverating. Okay, I, I, look, it's from the so word, persevere. word. I, I, persevere. Know, oh, got it. Got it. Okay, fair enough. It's a word. It's not a word that people use, but it's a word nonetheless <laughs> in my circles. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so that's what I was talking about with him. And you're quite right, TJ. That is late. I mean, maybe I'm not. I may be good, not good at a whole lot, but late night talk shows do seem to be something I do well. Yeah. Uh, that I yeah. that my jokes are geared for. But for whatever reason, perhaps he wants new blood. I don't know what it is, but he has decided. Uh, again, maybe he wants young uh, pursuing, hot comedians. Well, he may well might. Want I, that. I've I, never done the Tonight Show either, so don't worry about it. No, um, the same boat. But you did do Netflix is a joke. The festival. <laughs> Look, when I was younger, I did a lot of shit, too. Um, and then I guess I, I you did premium blend. I never got to do I did that. Do premium blend. But, go, but tell us, I guess, before I guess gets here, because he should be here soon. Just briefly about the Netflix is a joke festival mm-hmm. and, and what your experience was with that. It was it was a lot of fun. I was there. The. I was at a different venue, but the night that Dave Chappelle got attacked, I was doing a show very close to it. And it was kind of unbelievable because it was just comedians texting each other. Did you hear this thing just happened? And nobody knew what to make of it. We didn't know if it had to do with uh, somebody being trans or if it was just somebody looking for attention or somebody was legit mentally ill. It was pretty, pretty crazy. But overall, the festival was a lot of fun. It was, uh, I don't know if I should say this on the air. It was just like Netflix, the platform, it was too much. They did too many shows, too many stars, to the point where some shows were light. Or it's like, you shouldn't have light shows. You're Netflix. You're taking over a lot. Well, yes, that is very Netflix. I mean, uh, on I remember uh, at Christmas, they had hundreds, I don't know, hundreds, but they had many, 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 many Christmas movies. And I tweeted uh, that, there was a miscommunication. Somebody misunderstood when the order came down to Netflix to make a Christmas movie for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I uh, got like one like. But anyway, because yeah, I don't think people understood what I meant by it. I meant like for everyone, like everyone will enjoy it. But they thought it meant a, a different Christmas movie literally for each person because they had so many Christmas movies. Yeah. Did you cause... get that, Nicole, when I said it originally? <laughs> <laughs> now, by the way, this is neither here nor there, but if I was in on the meeting where they decided on Netflix is a joke for the name of the festival. Netflix is a joke. Yeah, I don't think I would have gone with it. Although I have to admit, it seems to work in a sense. It sticks in your head. Yeah. Well, then that name came before the festival. I think they just decided that the comedy segment is going to be called Netflix is a joke. So they have an Instagram page where they promote all the specials. Yeah, but Netflix. So is I guess a joke. Yeah. Just to say that they own jokes now. Comedy is them. They are comedy. Netflix is jokes. Netflix isn't funny. Listen, before Joe gets here, yeah. because I told TJ that we would do this, even though I'm not authorized to change subjects. In extreme mm-hmm. cases, you have to make a petition before the committee. I have exigent circumstances here. <laughs> um, TJ started a new show at The Cellar. Yeah. All um, right. That sounds like it's worth talking about. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah. I'm very excited about it. It's been really fun. We've had two. Well, so TJ far, is a joke. I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got the third one in, in an hour or so. What's it Wait, called? 
It's called The Sailor Chronicles. Okay. And, and how can people, and when is it? And well, what is it? Yeah. Every other hours. week. It's every uh, other Wednesday. It's at the Fat Black Pussycat, and it's at 6.45 p.m. And the show is basically stand-up and talk show. Basically, I find a comedian that I like and I enjoy, and they do stand-up, and I do stand-up, and then they meet me on stage, and we sit down, and we chat. Did you ask Dan to do it? Not yet. Why you got to make things awkward? <laughs> Dan is on my list. Uh, yeah, we like just two. do that and we sit on stage and we talk for forty-five to an hour for the. Dan would be great for the that. Audience. I think yeah. I think I would do well, and it might it might be. By the way, there might be some good clips that can be it can be. Yeah, yeah, that's know, sort yeah. of that's sort of what I'm finding about it. The clips where we just talk and we riff and something funny comes up, then I could use that for social media without burning my material. So but this, this thing that we did with uh, Schultz and Shane Gillis and Glenn Lowry, I think. Yeah. Apparently, clips of that have really gone viral. I've, I've I've had a couple of people reach out to me from that. Yeah, I didn't even know that the clips were doing well. So that turned out to be a pretty good thing that we did. Yeah, yeah. And was. the clips all have so the Comedy Cellar logo in them. I don't know. I think we had Glenn Lowry's logo on it. Yeah, I think it's oh, from yeah, his did, uh, the Blogging did. Heads TV guys. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you can see that. I don't know. If, I don't care. But um, <clears throat> no, it was just nice. Like we did that show, and nobody was really sure why we were doing it or what would come of it. But quite mm-hmm. often, when you do something like that, it it it's a good thing to do, and and good good things come to you from doing. Yeah, that are good. Well, know? what things yeah. do you have lined up, Noam, that you think might fall into that category? Do you have any more debates? Any more? Oh, Lowry's going to do another podcast with John McWhorter and um, in the uh, VU. Uh, we're doing we're doing some other things. So we'll, we'll see. Oh, great. When do you know when? Lowry. Yeah. Lowry and McWhorter. Uh, end of June. I'll give you. I'll give you. Cool. All right. You I'll keep saying you that. all. You've been nonstop about how busy you are and how much you have on your plate and how you don't have time to do anything. What what's what's going on? Well, a lot of these things are are not time consuming on my part a lot of them are not time consuming or no, are time they don't consume his I'm, time i'm not going to be doing the podcast and glenn lowry's doing it okay. the, the one i did with tj was time consuming because i had to be on the panel but in the future i'm not gonna be on the panel so why do you keep saying complaining about how busy you are and you don't have time to read any of my emails Fight i'm not sure two. what you're saying right now has any sense at all I have other things other than the glenn lowry podcast that are right i'm time. asking you what are those things well, my family, I have, I don't want to talk about them. Okay. Then does it feel like me and you are the children and mom and dad? <laughs> it feels that way every day, every week. <laughs> I, get, I have different brothers and sisters each week. <laughs> it happens to be you this week. So but just to piggyback off what you said, I agree with the philosophy of you do something because you think it's good, not because you hope it's going to go viral or people are going to like it or whatever. Well, that's it's what first I'm doing. You I'm, think it's- I'm, I'm, you know, they say you should go where the hockey puck is going, not where the hockey puck was. I'm going where it was. <laughs> I'm, I'm like this social media. I'm two, I don't know years, if I, who, I'm two years too I've late. I've never heard that thing. Is that a thing that people say? I, I, I think so. I didn't make it up. I mean, I don't make up sports analogies as a general matter. Um, yeah, that's not really the strength. But, but, of but that's not my strength. But, but um, I, uh, I, yeah, I'm like two years late to this social media thing. You know, it's probably too late. I mean, it's never too late, but, you know, it is a little late in the day. Is this uh, Mr. Lindsay? Lindsay? Lindsay, I'm sorry. That's a handful for sure. Bring him in. Okay, Joe Lindsley, are you there? He's about to be. Give call a chance. The Sorceress of Sound. Was it Devil of Decibels? The, 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 the Diva of Decibels. The, the, the maestro diva? of the mixing board. Joe Lindsley, how do you do? Hi. He's connected to his audio. Let me just introduce you whilst you're doing that. Joe, Joe Lindsley is a traveler and a writer. 
was once a protege of Roger Ailes, uh, who directed much of the national discourse, but then he escaped that frenzied realm where power mattered more than truth, as he puts it in his biography. And he began to discover the world. And now he is of all places in the Ukraine. He went to Ukraine before the war. The war broke out. He stayed there. And I'm sure that's uh, we're going to talk about that. Welcome, Joe Lindsley, to our podcast. Hey, good uh, good morning, good evening to you all from Ukraine. Uh, and I guess, yeah, we plan to talk in March 2020. Uh, I think we had a podcast scheduled. We did. Uh, the week of the, when the lockdowns began in New York and over here in Europe. Uh, and so here, here we are two years later. In, I know a, it was so crazy because I remember you saying, well, I'd love to do it, but I'd really love to do it in person. I think you were in Germany, right? I was, yeah, in Sweden. And then... I flew from Sweden to, I, I don't remember. It feels like 100 years ago. And most of those years were since February 24th. Uh, but, yeah. And then, uh, for real, I've been following your post on Instagram of the work, all the, you've been raising money with the Odessa Peace Fund, I think. Yeah, and right? the Hummingbird F- Effort Foundation, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, well, I don't know, what, what is the Hummingbird Foundation? The Hummingbird Effort um foundation is an organization that was started by my friend Dorota, who's a real estate investment banker. And she grew up under Soviet rule in Poland. And she still owned her family's house that she grew up in. And so she started um, rescuing women and their children. And as everybody knows, the men had to stay in Ukraine and she started putting them in that house. And then that house filled up with moms and kids. And she started signing leases um, for other mothers and children and setting people up with jobs. And, you know, a lot of the people who she grew up with are still across the border in Poland. And she started this foundation. Now she's rescued over 75 moms and, uh, you know, over 100 kids. And, you know, it's a grandma who's now making pierogi and selling them a florist, a psychologist. Um, So. It's yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, well, it's I, I say when, when 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 two years ago when you invited me on, I was hoping to uh, since you, since you all since you're comedians uh, to to tell you some of the more absurd stories of my uh, my strange adventures with uh, the chairman of Fox News, like starving at Chuck Norris's house and and lots of crazy stuff. But now I don't know we're I mean I, we do need to laugh, especially now in this and. Uh, but 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 I'll, I'll leave it to you to direct what what, what we talk about. But um, well, uh, for well, example, we, yesterday, I, sorry, I, go, yeah. I, I did want to find. You know, I I have a big interest in Fox News and 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 how it's changed and gotten worse, and what kind of guy Roger Ailes was. These are the things I am interested in. But before we do talk about that stuff, um, what is your outlook for the future in Ukraine? How do you think the war will end? Uh, what will, will will territory be permanently lost? What what do you what do you think is going to happen? It's uh yeah it's uh it's it's difficult and I I'd say I was in Lviv the first three months of the war, and uh, that's where I've been based for the past two years. And before the war, I was working with Ukrainian journalists. And the first hours of February twenty fourth, uh, we with a bunch of volunteers, we created Ukrainian Freedom News, a Telegram channel, uh, just to share what was happening here. Uh, to translate the, the the news we could like unearth in Ukrainian into English, uh, like really the raw stories, and then we realized uh, 
despite all this alleged, you know, aid money, soldiers were going to fight without proper gear. And these are, these are things that you've seen as you've been raising money, uh, real. And, uh, uh, we, so we started, people started to give us money that were reading our telegram channel just a little bit. And we would try to outfit anyone we could. Uh, and so, and then I would say that the first month of the war, we had to deal with sort of Russian operatives in Lviv, uh, cause they were all over Ukraine. They were prepared to, they, they thought the country was going to fall very quickly and they had operatives everywhere. And the second month we had to kind of deal with the wildcat desperado foreigners that came to help. And finally, the third month, we had some competent, competent people that are organized and, and, and trying to help here. And so only last week was the first time I left Lviv since it started. Uh, and I'm now in Dnipro. Uh, and then every day, almost, I've been doing some day trips to the front lines. And it's a bleak picture. Uh, yesterday, uh, with some friends, we drove uh, to a village called uh, Guliapoli. Uh, which is in one of the most contested areas. And while we were waiting at the last checkpoint uh, for a military escort to get into the city, uh, the Russians shot right at us. Oh um, yeah, it, it was, uh, fortunately, they were just far enough that they couldn't, they could not hit uh, the, the checkpoint where we were, but it, uh, it was uh, maybe two fields away, less than a football field uh, was where the blast landed. And uh, they, uh, and then, there, the whole time we're in this village, we, our driver, fortunately, was an amazingly fast driver. And we're going from hospital to a few other places to deliver some supplies. And uh, uh, they, they were shelling all around the city. Uh, and and then after we left, I got pictures later that they, they really hit the city hard, which is what they've been doing every day. And because right now, now after their blitzkrieg failed, of the, you know, the first week of the war, they couldn't take key, for example. Now they're hitting little villages uh it, all up and down the south and and the east uh just because that's all they can do to take this little territory at a time and these are people that were living i mean as we were driving yesterday i saw farmers still working in their fields and you know i pray that with that blast hit that no one was standing in that field and it's it's absolutely horrible and uh and I, you know and the toll it takes on everyone for example at, at the hospital yesterday uh i asked the chief doctor and the, you know we're, we're in the dark because we've given them a generator, but they have to save it for only extreme circumstances. And I asked the, the doctor, you know, do you have any plans to to evacuate? And he said, no, I must stay here until the end, whatever that means. And at that point, our translator, she was a very brave girl that came with us. She broke down in tears. Just and and I think those tears and everyone in the room got quiet and understood what those tears meant. That everyone here is at a breaking point. Um, because it's it's all dreams are on hold. Everything is on hold. Um, and, well, do, do, you and think, it, do you think Ukraine can prevail? Can they beat the, the Russians out of the Black Sea area? Can they? I look. Ukraine has done. I mean, Ukrainians have done amazing things. To, I mean, to keep this going, uh, to, you know, to, to, to keep the hopes of victory alive, and uh, uh, I, I think so, but only with support uh, from the world. And unfortunately, you know, people start to lose interest yeah. now. And I think that's yeah. part of Putin's strategy. And but the other the, but then there's different definitions of prevail because let's say somehow you can push the Russians back, uh back even back to the borders of t- February twenty-fourth or to twenty fourteen. Uh, but people are broken. I mean, I was at a sh- shelter here in Dnipro with children that have PTSD, you know, five or six years old. So, you know, there's all kinds of you know, 
you prevail, but you know, your city, like Mariupol destroyed. So today I took a walk with some new friends who uh, a couple that staying at this hotel where I am and they're, they're from Severodonetsk. And I asked the woman, I said, you know, do you like Dnipro? She said, no, I miss my town. My town, she said, we made so much progress the past eight years since the revolution of dignity. We had beautiful parks, we had playgrounds for the children. We, we were building a lovely society, it's all gone. So even if you win, it's, yeah. it's already a loss. And, uh, and tell me again, it went by me. Who are you there representing? Just myself. In Just a way. I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I started in the pandemic. I started to work with Ukrainian journalists in the beat. Uh, they had, uh, you know, it was so refreshing. They were so different from what I experienced at, at uh, on Avenue of the Americas, the News Corp. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I was working with Ukrainian journalists. But, uh, yeah, just with my friends here, we, we, everyone's and they're, they're, they're now in month three or four, a hundred, whatever it is, uh, we call it, people here call it February. Today is February 124th or something. Wow. It's, it's still February. And uh, we, we, we have some great American and British and other foreign volunteers that have come to help. So that and the team of Ukrainians, we work together. So you're, you're a brave man, actually. And that's an interesting thing <clears throat> all, all by itself. Um, what motivates someone like you to, to risk your life? In this situation, I think what well, I was just talking with uh, some friends about this. I, I, I think part of it it might be almost a I, okay, a, a small bit of I won't say it's like suicidal, but like a bit of like uh, this world is absurd, uh, and and uh, uh, I think there might be that little bit of element uh, in my mind. Uh, but I'd say the main thing is. When I was here, when the pandemic began, uh, I had, there was a chance to take a flight to escape. And somehow I, I thought the little I knew of Ukraine at the time is that this was going to be a better country to be in in the pandemic than most anywhere else. And the main thing is that no one was angry. People weren't arguing with each other like they did in America or other places. And, uh, and Ukraine, Ukrainian society, I think that Ukraine is one of the, even in this war, it's one of the freest countries in the world. Uh, people are free, free spirited, and uh, and and they're willing to die for that now. And I'm grateful for this country that welcomed me, and and so I think the best I, I yeah, to some to, to to stay with them until victory. And uh, and there must be a reason why I got stuck here for two years. So so it's bravery or not, I I feel that I don't have a choice. And then sort of a, TJ I, had I a question, by the way. Yeah. What uh, what do you notice that people do? over there like right now to entertain themselves is there any way to keep morale high like tj wants to know if they have tiktok and if they do (laughs) yeah they follow him yes and also is it hard to get laid doing a war (laughs) you know those are the questions i want to know uh it's uh there there was different there were different phases of the war i'd say the first the first month was uh everything stopped and uh for the like, like the, I was in the, the Lviv is almost like a little bit like New Orleans in a way. There's always music in the streets. Even during the pandemic, there was. But the first month of the war, it was silent. I mean, it, it was like watching a World War II movie. Yeah. Everything yeah. was scary and stopped. And uh, when we really thought that Russian tanks would be coming down the streets in a few days. I mean, everyone, you know, and anyone that stayed there, we had resolved in our minds to, to face, you know, imagine the Russians coming to your door. And that was a real reality. Uh, so that was the first I thought, month. Lviv, then, 
I th- I'm let sorry. Him, let, I, let him finish his answer. Go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I thought Lviv oh. was supposed to be a green zone. Was that? Is that not? It's become yeah. So Lviv, I, I would say at the beginning of the war, there was no one knew what to expect, and 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 the the Russians had a. They're very good with the psychological aspect of it. They struck all the airports around Ukraine, and so they, they crippled the air infrastructure. Uh, and so the Viv was hit, as, as was almost every every other major city. And so we and no one, you know, I think the world thought that Russia was stronger than they really were. And so uh, there was a sense, yeah, when it began, there was a sense that anything could happen. But then we realized, uh, and the way the Ukrainians fought back that the first sort of five days. Uh, that this is this is not going to be so easy for Russia, and then things began to adjust. And I'd say probably at the end of the first month, uh, life began to come back. I first heard someone singing the Bella Ciao song on the streets of the Viv, and then all of a sudden, more and more music comes back, and the bars opened a little bit, and then and life began to 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 because people had to find a way to adapt. I did see um, something to, on TV about a comedy show. I don't know if it was in Lviv or was in another city, but I saw something about there. There is stand-up comedy there, and then they were doing a comedy show somewhere. Is yeah, yeah. getting back on stage? I don't think Zelensky was performing that night, but <laughs> tell him he's passed at the comedy cellar. Anytime he wants to come. <laughs> hey, you, you, you're, you're, you're welcome to come do a tour of uh, at least of Western Ukraine. Uh, it is How pretty funny safe. I mean, Zelensky came here and did a set, and Esty was like, "Nah." No. <laughs> no, Esty would never pass. Uh, Esty would never um, not pass Zelensky because he's Jewish. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. All right. I, I was going I was supposed to go to Ukraine. Two years ago, and then the pandemic hit. Well, that's when he. But went. I was I was about to go with to open for Louis C.K. Really, the pandemic right. hit and I didn't go. Shows and and then and then Louis was about to go recently without me, uh, to perform, and then the war came. So apparently, somebody doesn't want Louis going at the. Well, uh, I, I Ukraine, spent but... I spent a number of days in Lviv, um, just about a, almost ten years ago exactly, and uh, it's a beautiful European city. I was also in. in in Kiev, or we now it's Kiev, um, <clears throat> and it's it's impossible to imagine a city that looks like that. I know Lviv is not damaged, but Kiev might be. And um, in a war torn World War II kind of way, we really thought that type of thing just didn't happen anymore. And it's just uh, I don't really have any point other than, than that. Just it's just it's impossible to comprehend that they they did this with no apparent reason. I mean, I understand that they, they have reasons from their point of view about, you know, essentially keeping Ukraine out of the Western orbit in one way or another. But to destroy the country and to murder people for that end is just. It's just impossible to comprehend, no? Yeah, well, and I remember, I think it was two weeks before February 24th, uh, Putin gave a speech, sort of his manifesto. And I was in a cafe in Lviv, uh, a cafe Fatset, where kind of writers and philosophers and musicians hang out. And everyone was watching the speech. And at the end of that speech, no one said a word. And people just hugged each other. And I went to my friend's bar across the street and the same thing. Everyone just hugged each other because in that speech, Putin explained his hatred of the Ukrainian people. And I think it's because in 2014, they said, we don't want to be governed by your puppets. You know, they kicked out the, they kicked out the corrupt 
yeah, Russian pro-Russian regime. Yeah, and uh, but but when he when Putin gave that speech, everyone in the V felt, oh, he's coming for us, and and, and it was a strange. I mean, people, everyone just looked each other in the eye and said, this guy is coming for us, and it was that was, yeah, almost like a crazy guy like Hitler. The same, I mean, like he just hates these people and wants to destroy them. And I remember in peacetime walking through the streets of the Aviv and like through the, the old Jewish quarter and you can see the ruins of the synagogue and, and trying to imagine like the horror that happened there. And, and it was so hard to imagine in the Aviv of, you know, of 2020 and 2021, the Aviv well, of, uh, you know, what, but here it is. Last question on Ukraine, maybe. Uh, what about the, the have, you, have you seen any Nazis there? So apparently, you know, Putin, Putin makes a lot of the Nazis. It's, it seems to be quite pretextual, but not a total fabrication, right? Uh, I mean, look, even if you read Wikipedia, you know, they, uh, they say that the Azov Battalion is neo-Nazi. And uh, my friend's uh, jazz club, which sadly just closed last week because of the war forever. Uh, uh, two months ago, they had a, uh, one of the, the first concert they had since the war began was a fundraiser. Uh, and it was a uh, Jewish Carpathian folk uh, sort of fusion band. And they were raising money for the Azov Battalion, and and so and so this narrative that Azov is the neo-Nazi uh, group, you know, that, that's not you know, Jewish Ukrainians are supporting it. So even that part of the narrative doesn't work. And I think part of it is uh, there's a Ukrainian toast. Uh, uh, they say Slava Ukraini, Heroim Slava, and then they say Slava Nazi, Nazi, not. I'm not even pronouncing it correctly. My bad, Ukrainian. Nazi is uh, glory to the nation. Uh, it's Ukrainian word for nation. We uh, Ukrainians don't, you know, it's English and Ukrainian are different languages. Uh, and I think probably some New York Times reporter heard that toast in a bar and said, oh, these people are Nazis. I think it might have been that simple. Um, but no, I, I've seen a very tolerant country. And last summer, um, we, there was a jazz fest in Lviv, one of the few such festivals that could happen during those two years of the pandemic. And there were so many uh, black musicians from America that came here, including Adele's piano player. And he stayed. He loved uh, Ukraine so much. He stayed. Adele's uh, piano player. Yeah, was yeah. It, was Eric Worth, a black guy. Yeah, yeah, from Philadelphia. His name Miles. Uh, no, Eric Worthen, the second know. or the third. Uh, and uh, and and he stayed. He loved it so much. And then the the night before um, before the war, I was at that jazz club, and uh, Ella Fitzgerald's son was singing. He lives in Ukraine, and. Uh, Wow. We all, he was saying an amazing blues song that night because we all felt something wicked was coming. Uh, but this country is incredibly tolerant. And, and, and the Putin, you know, his narrative is ridiculous. But unfortunately, you know, I, I, so I, one, one thing I can tell people is that this is actually an extremely tolerant and welcoming country. Um, and we said President Zelensky is Jewish. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a ridiculous narrative. Um, so, well, there, there, I think there's more to the, I, I, listen, I'm not bashing Ukraine at all. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all this, but I think there is more to the, the Nazi story than that, but um, I don't think, like I said, I think it's pretextual. Um, listen, these countries are complex. Uh, of course. And um, there's residual aspects of recent history there. And, and um, I mean, Ukraine both has a Jewish president and was also one of the most vicious anti-Semitic countries at one time. And, you know, these are one generation removed from those people. So it was not going to shock me to find out there's still Jew haters there, and it would, but uh, having said that, I I still uh, think that would be a very unfair way to characterize the country. Uh, just well, like, just like I, in America, we have we have our our uh, long-standing racist generations, 
And uh, to characterize America simply by those people is, is utterly unfair. So, all right, uh, Fox News. <laughs> so, by the way, was your character represented in that HBO Roger Ailes? Uh, you were, right? Yeah. The yeah, actor the even actor... looks a little bit like you. Yeah, I, I, I drank beers with him, which is a weird... I was the first. I was the only person he's played that he had a drink with. Uh, but uh, Emery Cohen was the actor. Uh, TJ has to leave. He's got. He's doing a show downstairs. Uh, I could take it easy, TJ. So I um. Thanks. I I was like Fox News was always considered quite conservative, right? And Fox News was always considered uh, just uh, uh, unreliable and blah blah blah. There were documentaries called Out Fox, you know, more than ten years ago with a rally. However, at that time, this is must around the time that you were involved with Fox News. I found Fox News quite good. Not that I didn't know that they were conservative and not that I didn't understand what I was watching, but I, I felt Fox News presented a pretty good debate. You know, these shows would have uh, credible people from different points of view. I thought O'Reilly's show was interesting, notwithstanding the fact that he was kind of a blowhard. Charles Krauthammer was on Fox News, uh, Fred Barnes and Morton Kondracki. There were, a lot of, uh, uh, there were a lot of interesting people on Fox News. And... And now it's, to me, utterly unwatchable. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as unwatchable, but it, it has uh, a lot to be, feel guilty about. It, it, it spreads um, anti-vaccine, dis- I mean, obviously false anti-vaccine information dressed up in innuendo. It, it uh, was insufficiently uh, factual about this election fraud stuff. And uh, I know I'm talking a lot. And I attributed in my mind... To the fact that warts and all, and this is where you're going to tell me I'm wrong, or hopefully, or tell me where I'm wrong, that no matter what he was in certain regards, that Roger Ailes valued a good debate. That was the feeling I always got about Fox News, that, that Roger Ailes liked to see a debate that was fair and have good people on both sides of the debate. And now Fox News couldn't care less about that. What do you think about all That's my impression as a viewer. Tell me where I'm wrong or I'm right. There's a lot of truth to that. One, I would, I would, I would say, and this hasn't been explored enough, but I think Roger's downfall, I think, was in part, I think his the moment where his downfall began was there was a Republican primary debate where uh, Trump criticized Megyn Kelly. He said something very awful about Megyn Kelly. Uh, maybe you remember. Um, yeah, bl- blood, and, blood everywhere, like as, it blood, as if she was having her period, yeah. Exactly. And Roger, I think it was the next morning, defended Megyn Kelly and came out against Trump. And he was, he, he had not been a, uh, he already was, and I wasn't there at the time, but I was just observing from the sidelines. He, he, you know, he was already skeptical of Trump at that point. And, and there was a power play then between them and Trump won that. And that's when Roger lost his power. And then, and I think that there's, there's more to the story there about his downfall. It's not so simple with Gretchen well, Carlson and all that. How did Trump win it? Uh, Trump then so Roger publicly challenged uh, Trump uh, and said you need to apologize to Megyn Kelly, and Trump said no I won't, and that was when the balance shifted. All of a sudden Trump said I am now the decider because I think Roger's great power up until then uh, as a as vis a vis a Republican was he could prevent people from becoming president more so than even making someone the candidate or a nominee. He could prevent people, and uh, he tried to prevent Trump at that point. And he publicly challenged Trump and Trump said, sorry, no. 
uh, you're wrong. And that's when Fox began to lose uh, its power, I think, with the Republican base and people shifted toward Trump. Uh, and I think it was a few months later that, that Roger was forced. Did we lose the sound? We lost your sound. No sound, Joe. Oh, sorry. Uh, Roger Ailes came back from the dead to squelch you. <laughs> yeah, hey, maybe so. It's, uh, um, I, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I say, I mean, I, I probably, I've been Roger's only friend, probably, and, and confidant. But um, I left because I, I it, it was, he wanted me to become just like him and to have, I, I was losing my moral compass completely. And uh, what way? Tell us what way we lose the moral compass. Uh, because they they wear you down, and they so Roger always wanted my moral approval for all the decisions he made at Fox, and uh, uh, but he wanted my moral approval while changing my definition of what was right and wrong. And uh, part of this way, I, I mean, I, I was it was a weird thing. I, I was his protege. Uh, but I also, uh, like Monday through Wednesday, I edited two small newspapers in the Hudson Valley that he owned. And so at that level, I got to see how he didn't know what journalism was. Uh, and he would try to get me to manipulate the news just because of his personal whims, he and his wife in, in, in the Hudson Valley and who, who their enemies were and to always be attacking people. In, in the HBO show, they, they, they cover that. Yeah. They cover that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could have finished watching that show, by the way, when there was this, a, a scene with Russell Crowe playing Roger. Is talking to Emery playing me about my childhood, and I said, "This is this is too weird." And that was the last bit I watched of the show. Um, and unfortunately, they uh, because they took um, Russell Crowe so long to get in the fat suit every day and all the makeup, they had to cut a bunch of episodes. So they cut my car chase escape, which is the only thing I really wanted to be on 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 screen. Was my I thought pretty amazing car chase escape from uh, from News Corp security, but that didn't make Who it into the you? show. Uh, News Corp security. Why? Um, uh, part of it was um, Roger was afraid when when I when I said I wanted to quit, he said you can't go because I, he, you know, he said, I thought I knew too much, uh, wow. and they were weirdly attached and focused on me, and uh, and he was afraid maybe that I would uh, somehow I don't know. So be, so. I don't put you on a spot, but can you give us a good, like, give us a good <laughs> illustration of like the, the amoral aspect of Fox at that time? Something, something they reported that just wasn't true, or you know. Uh, I mean, this was uh, uh, they. This was in the days when when Glenn Beck was working at Fox, for example, and uh, uh, Beck was reporting pretty heavy, you know, going after the White House, pretty strong, Obama White House, pretty strongly. And, uh, uh, and this is maybe this doesn't fit into the universe of simple boxes in American political thinking, but Roger made a deal with the Obama White House on their news coverage. And, and that was one of the big arguments I had with him. I said, this is not journalism if you're agreeing not to cover things. What, um, they made a pro-Obama deal. Yeah, yeah. David Axelrod came to meet with Roger at Fox News. Uh, it was the only meeting that I was pulled out of. Uh, and, so, and after when I went to Roger, he said, well, why, why did you exclude me from that? Um, and uh, not long after that, he, he got rid of Glenn Beck, who, I mean, uh, Glenn Beck can be, you know, uh, a wild card, but, uh, but, um, but he, was, he would actually do his homework, more so than a lot of the other people at Fox. And uh, Catherine Harris was a great reporter, too. But, uh, 
but Beck would, you know, try to do his homework and, um, uh, and he was, he was, he was looking into too many things. And that was the same problem that when I was editing my newspaper owned by Roger, uh, in, in the Hudson Valley, I was investigating a uh, Republican state senator who had dirt on everyone, including people in Congress, people in Albany and New York. And that's how he had been in power for decades. And Roger had wanted me to investigate this guy. And I did. And then I really started to uncover stuff. And then that's when Roger stopped me. And then I realized that he didn't, he didn't care. Well, actually, I think Roger was the most fearful person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he was afraid of everything, and that's why he had to build up this power uh, apparatus. Uh, but he stopped me from investigating so, uh, that local politician. Yep. Oh, so this is interesting. So, because most people and, and I were probably perceiving that you thought Roger Ailes was um, dishonest from a right wing point of view, but actually, you're saying that he he uh, was felt repelled from Glenn Beck who was actually to the right of... Uh, so Glenn Beck, I remember, got in trouble for saying something with racial overtones about Obama, uh, so, uh, called Obama a racist or something like that. And he got in trouble for that. And he, I think he had to apologize even. And in retrospect, that's nothing compared to the stuff that Tucker Carlson says every night right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tucker, who, by the way, is uh, you know, a huge promoter of Russia in this time, uh, yeah. which is... Which, I mean... He, this is a side note, but they were just at a, and Tucker appeared via video link. They were at a conference in Budapest two or three weeks ago, all these American conservatives with like, Putin's only ally pretty much in the world. And uh, I, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. And then, and, 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 and Tucker speaks without, without any facts. And, uh, and at least, at least there's, for banks. There's no, there's no bioweapons labs in Ukraine owned by Hunter Biden. That's not true. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm calling you from one right now, and uh, you know that's the other thing is the, and this isn't the ridiculous ridiculousness of American discourse, but uh, uh, Tucker does, and they don't take the time to investigate things. But Hunter Biden uh, worked with a Ukrainian energy firm, but that firm was run by uh, a member of the government of Yanukovych which was affected by the people of Ukraine in 2014. So it's not Ukrainian company. It's a pro-Russian company that whose CEO is based in Moscow. Uh, and it's so strange that, you know, Paul Manafort, Trump's, you know, was his, uh, was his campaign director for a while, worked with Yanukovych people. So the, the, the people that Ukrainians said, we want you to get out of our country, Trump's guy worked with them, and Biden's son worked with, 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 with the same people. These are the people that the Ukrainians said, please leave in 2014. Um, so, so, so what you're saying actually lines up with what my impression was that um, I'd say that I would I'd say that Roger Ailes was uh, motivated, you know, he had a conservative uh, agenda, but he was enthralled with ideas. He, he, he had a conservative agenda because he believed that conservatism was demonstrably correct and was ready to have that debate and thought he could prevail on the facts of that debate. And he wanted to show America that. And I would even say that he, he understood that the way you convince people is by, is by defeating formidable debate ally, uh, you know, adversaries, not by just having shills. And it seems to me the current Fox News, um, whoever runs it, the Murdochs, whatever, they couldn't care less about ideas. It's purely ratings and money. Um, I don't imagine Roger Ailes embracing anti-vax sentiment the way Fox did. Uh, I hope that he wouldn't have. 
Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I feel like he was way, way straighter. And uh, I understand he was a creepy guy and what he did to women and all that's that's all another matter. And I wouldn't lift a finger to defend him on any of that. But just as a viewer, I mean, I just can't express how awful Fox is and how much better I thought it was when Roger Ailes ran it. Well, that's part of it. In a sense, you know, in, in my darker moments, I've had regrets, you know, if I had just stuck with it. But, um, I, you know, I there were times when Roger would try to confide in me, confide in me his regrets and, 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 and how he wanted to do things in a different way, maybe. But I was so much like him that I was unable to be a friend to him in those moments. Um, I was only, I was 24, 25, but I was very, very much similar to him. And he would he would try to say, hey, Joe, uh, you know, I, I think I made some mistakes here. And I'd say, oh, no, it's, this is a weird conversation. Everything's great. And I, and I, I sort I, of... you remember any of the mistakes you thought he made? He thought he... Uh, we, well, I, no, was, uh, my mistake was that I didn't let those conversations happen. I would only... He would try to confide these... Or start to talk about these things. And I was so much like him, maybe even worse, uh, that I, 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 I didn't know how to be a friend to him. Um, Whereas now everything I've learned and the stuff that's happened since since I escaped, you know, I, if I if I was then who I am now, it would would have been different. But but I I I needed to transform myself, and um and that's been the process of this past so decade. What network, of, what network should one watch? Uh, what do you what network, what news network do you watch? Nothing. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's hel- I don't know if it's a healthy format. Uh, I think that's why I'm, I'm you know. Podcasts like yours are better. I mean, when people can actually have a conversation, uh, democracy is not possible without conversation. Um, I, I, I don't think the cable. I, I, yeah, I don't think it's good for us. They're all terrible. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this guy Zaslav, is that his name, uh, who's taking over CNN, who I, I know uh, I've heard from like two degrees of, or one degree of separation of a friend of his um, is a serious guy. I'm hoping that they will uh, do something with CNN to make it, Something that um, you know, smart people who are uh, not all, not extremely partisan will be interested to watch to get the bottom of things. I don't know, Dan. What, what news did you watch, Dan? What news? I don't watch the news. You don't watch the news? No, not really. I I go on Twitter and see what people are saying. Oh, that's and... a good reliable. <laughs> well, then click articles from that. It's better than Periel. She gets it from memes. She gets it. From... <laughs> all right, sir. Well, um, that's about it. I I. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm very moved by your 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 personal bravery. Um, Are you still paying bills over there in America? No, I've sort of I've checked out. I've checked out from America these past uh, two years, and uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll return after victory for Ukraine. But uh, do you have any residents in America that you have to pay like rent to, or more? no? I got I got yeah. I've, I got rid of. I just started shedding all these things these past two years, and. Uh, Nope. Uh, in fact, I, I, I let my brother borrow my car, and I think I think he might have lost it. I, I haven't even seen photographic evidence of it in a while. So, uh, I've never yeah, heard you losing a car, but <laughs> sooner or later you'll get back to the states. You'll come back to New York. We'd love to host you at, at the Comedy Cellar one night, and you can tell the real stories. You know, the, the, the stuff too hot for for podcasts. But uh, um, God willing, uh, be safe. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to meet you sometime in New York. It'd be great. I say, I would love to tell you, uh, yeah, some of the entertaining stories, like the, the weekend at Chuck Norris's house with Roger and no food. Well, go ahead. You want to tell her? Or is that something you, want to, you don't want to? I, could, I, I could tell if you want, yeah, but it's, yeah. Chuck, um, 
uh, Chuck invited Roger and his wife and their kid and me uh, for a weekend because uh, we were down visiting George and Barbara Bush, as it happens in Texas, normal life in that world. And uh, uh, that's another story. But so we get to the Lone Wolf Ranch. This is very dangerous. I've told this story in bars to friends, but never, you know, you know, it's very dangerous to talk about Chuck Norris, of course. And, um, and, and that's the thing. It's like going to meet Santa Claus because, like, Chuck is a real guy, like I guess St. Nicholas was, but he's also a myth because of the Chuck Norris facts. And, uh, you know, so we get to his ranch. We have a nice conversation in his living room, which is covered with uh, uh, like pixelated pictures of Jesus and guns and bazookas and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and normally it's a nice custom when you're invited to someone's house. You know, they give you some snacks or something. And uh, there was nothing. And Roger liked to eat. We all ate a lot. We, we actually ate breakfast burritos in the, as our driver was bringing us to the ranch. We sit there in the living room for two hours and no food. And and then it's about 1230 and uh, Chuck's like, uh, let's go fishing. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Chuck's, Chuck Norris's house. You have to catch. You got to catch your lunch. That's what it is. So we go fishing, which is not a Roger Ailes pastime. And uh, there was no one caught anything. And the next hours were pure delirium. Um because we were so hungry, because we were, I mean, when we were at, on 6th Avenue at the News Corp building, we would have, we would have breakfast, like, in the car, in the motorcade, on the way to the building. The chef would come down, we'd have second breakfast. There's a secret Danish locker, which is another story. We just ate all the time. And uh, that's also a commentary, I think, on our emptiness. But, so, hours at Chuck Norris's ranch, no food. We go horseback riding. Uh, and Roger couldn't get on the horse. Chuck couldn't because he's got two fake hips. Uh, the wives had no interest in riding the horse. So Roger's kid was like 12 years old at the time. He gets on a horse. I get on a horse. And Chuck says, oh, this is so bizarre. I can't believe I'm telling this on, on, the, on air. But Mr. Norris says, whatever you do, don't say the name of the president of the United States to my horse. Okay. I wasn't going to do it, but now I definitely won't. Uh, and it was President Obama at the time. And so Roger's little kid, then like 10 or 12 years old, the, he gets on the horse. And the first thing he says, Obama, <laughs> and the horse goes nuts. Like it's ju- trying to get rid of this little turd that's on the horse. And because <laughs> said Obama. And all of a sudden, it's like that scene in Anchorman with a cat's flying over the bridge or something. The kid is flying through the air and he thump, he lands. Uh, Chuck can't run after him because he's got two fake hips. He was, I knew his weakness. Uh, and Roger can't run. The wives are just in their own... You know. uh, and uh, so I ran to make sure the kid was okay, and he was inches from hitting the metal railing. Uh, so for, you know, fortunately, he, he made it. Uh, and then more and more hours, like Chuck, Chuck took me to uh, his a barn full of uh, unsold total gems. And, and there's this weird delirium because we had... There was no, it's now like 4 or 5 p.m. No food had been offered. We'd arrived at 10 in the morning. Nothing. And at one point, uh, maybe a couple hours later, uh, Mrs. Ailes uh, asked Mrs. Norris, like, are we going to eat? And she might as well have said, like, is there hamburger sunshine on Tuesday? Like, she didn't understand the question, like, <laughs> about food. And, um, and Mrs. Ailes got angry, and finally they said, okay, we'll get some barbecue. And... Uh, so, uh, great, food's on the way. 
but we're in the ranch in the middle of nowhere. So it takes an hour and a half. And this little bag of barbecue takeout shows up. And all of a sudden, all of these people show up, ranch hands, nannies. Like all of a sudden, there's tons of people at the kitchen table. We have to share this tiny snack. Uh, they pull out their Bibles and start talking about the apocalypse. And Roger, Roger and I are, you know, how far would you dare to roll your eyes in Chuck Norris's kitchen? And I'm looking at Roger and we're like, this is, this is pretty weird, man. And um, then we watched, uh, he's got a full movie theater. The, we watched The Blind Side, but no popcorn. Unsweetened iced tea, but no popcorn. And then Chuck's uh, like, okay, bedtime, everyone. And so I'm sleeping two rooms down from Chuck Norris. I can't sleep. I just hear the, 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 the chime on the front porch of the ranch. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking of all the Chuck Norris jokes and facts um, about different ways to die. And um, so I get up quite early, like, I don't know, 6.30 or so. I creep downstairs. I'm sneaking around Chuck Norris's house. It's like, I would feel weird sneaking around, like, a distant aunt's house. You know, this is, this is, it was, it was, it was hilarious and scary at the same time. So I go downstairs. Roger and his wife are in the, like, the living room. And they... They look stricken because, you know, it was very dramatic for Roger. And he's like, he whispers to me, he's like, Chuck and Gina, they're still asleep. You go in the kitchen. Look for some food. We'll keep watch. And he promised me that he would keep watch. And, and by the way, if anyone's listening, this is all just a Chuck Norris fact. It's all, it's just jokes. I'm making it up. <laughs> just <laughs> shit. And so I go into the kitchen. And I guess it's like maybe 7.30 in the morning. And there are two kids are running around, probably scrambling for food because I don't know if they're allowed to eat either. And uh, and my heart's racing. Part of me is laughing. The other part is actually quite terrified. And now, because I haven't eaten, I've barely eaten in 24 hours, I'm a little bit delusional. Maybe this is like a security mechanism to, you know, to keep your guests weak uh, if you're Chuck Norris. And, um, and so finally, I find a pantry. I open it up. And there's... To me, at least, it seemed there are these clear plastic uh, containers of cereal, but they all look even. And I'm like, great. If I take one flake of cashy, Chuck Norris is going to know because he's Chuck Norris. But I don't care. I'm so hungry. All we have is soy milk. Uh, soy milk. At Fox News, you can't drink soy milk, of course, you know, for liberals. <laughs> Whatever. I had to sacrifice. And I pour the bowl of cereal, and I, have, I, have, I put the spoon in. I'm so happy. I'm about to eat. And then I hear someone coming down the steps. I'm like, great. It's going to get roundhouse kicked like into like 1926 or something. And I, I, I'm ready to eat. And then it was, I think it was worse than Chuck. It was his wife. She comes down into the kitchen and she stares at me like, like I had just like strangled their cat or something, which I was Roger and I were talking like, like they got animals here. Can we kill something to eat it? Um, and, uh, She's staring at me, and I just, I just take a bite in defiance, and she shakes her head with a complete and utter disgust, and she walks into the living room, and I'm like, great, she's going to grab one of the bazookas off the wall and blow my brains out because I ate a bowl of cereal, and, um, but she just disappeared the rest of the day, and we sat in the living room talking about how Mike Huckabee would be the best and most perfect holy president of the world or something, oh and, um, and then our driver who worked for the Bushes. Finally showed up to rescue us, like at five o'clock in the evening. No food was offered the whole day, and she had all these like cupcakes and Sonic milkshakes. And I guess maybe she knew that they don't feed people. I don't know if it was fat camp. I don't know what it was, 
but it was weird. And so Roger was in such distress, he calls the uh, the pilot of the News Corp plane and says, uh, send, send, send the flight attendant out to get like 15 Subway meatball, meatball sandwiches, which we ate in the flight home, which, you know, ruined all the effects of the fat camp. But that was, yeah, that was one of, uh, that was, that was a weird life. That is a crazy story. <laughs> That's nuts. Have you heard from Chuck Norris since? No, but maybe once you publish this, I will. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got it. Well, his wife knows what you did because she was a wit. Maybe she didn't. She was a wit. Did you know, we can talk another time maybe, but did you know Charles Krauthammer? I did because I went to the Weekly Standard. When you mentioned Fred Barnes, he was my first boss, uh, Fred Barnes and Bill Crystal. So I knew him not very well, but a little bit. I would sometimes uh, deliver manuscripts to his house when, in 20, 2006. Yeah, but I didn't. I never had a good conversation with him. My impression of him is that he was a as a great man. Is he? Is that your impression as well? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Especially from the people I knew who knew him well, uh, and uh, yeah, he had true gravitas. And uh, and I, I miss his words. He was. I think I, all the stuff we're trying to navigate now. Uh, his mind. Uh, is, we need we need minds like that to navigate yeah, both the mess we're in now. It's a good illustration of how Fox has changed because I would say that at the time he was active on Fox right up until the time he got sick and Laura Ingram came and all that came. He was basically considered the intellectual voice of Fox News. He was the most profoundly respected voice on Fox News. And now I don't even know if he could keep a, a spot on Fox News. He, he would probably have quit. Uh, all right, yeah, sorry. I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're right. I, th- I think he would have. And uh, yeah, they, they don't they don't have a leader at Fox. Um, What's interesting, and, and it should be said that to the, to, to, to the left, as it were, or people center and left, they don't distinguish. They see Fox as Fox. It was the same Fox with Charles Krauthammer and same Fox now. And that's, that is profoundly untrue. Um, uh, there's all, the whole cast of characters that Fox rode to success. I think uh, the overwhelming majority would not be comfortable on the Fox that exists today. Anyway, uh, it was really a pleasure to meet you. And uh, like I said, I, I hope someday to, to meet you in person and be safe. We're out of time. Um, thank you very, very much, sir. Good thank night. You. And thank you. And Peril, thank you for all the, the great work you're doing with Odessa Peace Fund and, uh, and the Hummingbird Foundation. It's thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. I've met, I've met people who've benefited from that here. So. Oh, wow. We'll, we'll talk yeah. more on um, Instagram. We'll finish our conversation. We have another fundraiser comedy show. We do. On June 13th. What, at the cellar? No, not at the cellar, but on June 13th, okay. which is also another fundraiser for Ukraine. Great. Thank you, Joe Lindley. Lindsley. Thank you. Lindsley. Lindsley. Don't put from Ukraine. It's a tough Thank one. Thank you. Uh, Yak All right, well, that was interesting. And what do you have to say for yourself, Mr. Dorman? What are you talking about? What? Why is there dead silence? Because she just end. No, no, no. End right now. No, no, don't end. What, it, what you gave me so much shit when I walked in here. Like, do you want to like at least acknowledge your behavior or anything of that nature? Does every female in my life have to talk to me this way? Well, I mean, you know, well, you can always rely on Nicole to treat you with respect. I'm not, I, okay, just I'll let the record show. I didn't remember who Joel Lins, Linsley was. And because I said, Pearl, who's this guy? She goes, well, there's somebody you wanted on the show. I'm like, when did I want him on the show? She says, before COVID. I'm like, before COVID, that was years ago. Like, 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 like talk about expiring. 
But, did but I, I couldn't. I couldn't remember he was the guy from. But you Fox's. were short with me, and you were not. Very but actually, nice in your this tone. is. This and is, I did email. I, I, talking you. to the mic, Jesus Christ. I, I'm talking to the mic, and I did email you. Yes, you did. I'm, my memory's bad, but okay. Uh, anyway, so but just I, be I am, like a little bit less, you know. But no, Perio, please note that after a certain time, you need reauthorization. I think it's fair to say. I say after. Uh, Six you know, months. Left. Certainly, after you know, if 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 no one wants something that's time sensitive, okay, but you I should made, get reauthorization. I, this is the pollster who said Trump was going to win. Like, but I said that he would be super interesting. But you didn't get reauthorization. No, but I, that's not. He a, turned he, out to be interesting. Okay. Um, well, look, as far as look, I I, I, I don't, don't know really I, understand is is Ukraine that this is actual bravery. Uh, uh, this this Ukraine thing. I mean. It's also a little nuts. I, well, he, he, he said himself that it, he might be a little nuts. Well, is, did, did I see a, a military jacket that he was wearing? Is he a military guy? Because some of those guys, they live for this shit. Well, that's you know, what and I they miss said. it. And, and I said that I think, you know, he's got like a little of that like Michael Moynihan vibe, like that like adrenaline. Well, Michael Moynihan is not. Listen, anybody who risks their lives, uh, you got to respect. I, well, I shouldn't say that, but I respect him. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's great. Well, I don't know how the folks on Raw Dog will will whether they enjoyed it or not, but um, I thought it was really people are interested interesting. in Ukraine, and the Fox News thing is interesting the Fox too. Fox News, I I don't think was a little bit of a of a lesser less interesting. It's interesting to me. No, it's, no, no, it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. It's wild. I mean, that. Chuck I don't, I'm not going to ask Nicole, but uh, sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess we'll wrap it up. Okay, I was there was one observation about the whole Fox News thing, which is interesting. Side okay. of the stories, it's it's what I said at the end is that to the to the Fox News haters, they see Fox as a continuous evil entity, and it shows how shallow they are because actually, there's clearly two Fox Newses. There's, there was the Fox News before Roger Ailes and the Fox News after Roger Ailes, and the two could not even coexist. The people who who were uh, the main voices on Fox News then hate the people who were the main voices now. Anyway, so, all right, that's it. Podcast at ComedyCellar.com. You have comments, questions, suggestions. You want to hire the maestro of the mixing board for your own uh, sound needs, uh, you can also contact us through podcast at ComedyCellar.com. And uh, keep an eye out for... It's a Fader Fraulein at the... Events at the Comedy <laughs> Cellar. We have debates. We have not just comedy... We have, well, we have debates, we have discussions, we have live podcasts, all sorts of things. Podcast at ComedyCellar.com for all your uh, comments and suggestions. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.